welcome to Episode 2 of Season 2 of Out of the Ether. I am still Tim Brick, and I am still your host for this amazing podcast. <laughs> no hyperbole here, folks. Uh, this week's episode is Part 2 of my interview with Andrew Morris. Andy is the founder of Sound Merchants. Um, last episode, he uh, talked quite a bit about the time he spent working as an engineer in Olympic Studios back in the early 70s uh, on the different uh, artists that he got the opportunity to work with back then, uh, The Stones, uh, David Bowie, Elton John, uh, just to name a few, Bad Finger, Bad Company, uh, to name a couple more. <laughs> um, matter of fact, I could probably do about uh, 40 hours of podcast with Andy's stories on various artists he's met over the years. So this week we talk uh, quite a bit more uh, about the business side of it and what it takes to break a band and kind of how things used to be and, and how they're shaping up to be these days. So sit back and enjoy part two of my interview with Andy Morris. So when you're talking about managing bands, one in particular that that I'm a little bit familiar with was New Cassettes. So what um, we can talk about them specifically, but maybe even maybe it's even kind of a larger question because I know you've managed other bands as well. What is it though when you're out and you see a band? What is it that drives you to think, hey, you know what, this band I think is is somebody I want to manage, I want to work with, I want to see if I can help them be successful. Um, I was at the Roundhouse, same place I told you I saw Elton and. All those bands went to London um, with uh, my partner Tamara, and I think it was our last night in London. And they had like five night, five five bands on in one night, and uh, this was in two thousand and nine, I think it was. And um, she was like, "Come on, you got to get out of the hotel room. We're going back to New York tomorrow." And I was like, I was kind of tired, and I went anyway. And I just saw this band, and I, I, for me, it's got to be. You know, the songs are obviously the number one thing. You know, you either like a song or you don't. It's a preference, right, with everyone. But for me, I've always been into, like, people that can perform, like people that can make you for two hours laugh, smile, cry, you know, have a great time, and you release everything that you bought into the venue, and you're just having a great time. And that's what happened with new cassettes. I saw them. I talked to the live sound guy and I was like, where are they from? He said, oh, they're from North Northampton. And I said, is there any chance that you could get me to uh, meet a couple of guys backstage? So uh, we met them. I met, I think I met Tom and um, I think they were pretty intrigued because I was an English guy. They didn't know anything about my background or anything. I just said, look, I'm a manager. You know, I live in New York City. And I think that basically was uh, our, our introductory meeting. And I asked them to send me some material and they sent me some material and I was like, wow, I could really do something with this. But I knew that it was going to be a huge undertaking because they were based in England. Um, and then thank God through a friend of mine, Eric Philbrook, who works for ASCAP in New York, he said, you need to find them a really good producer. And he goes, I, I am going to suggest someone you should call. And I can make the intro to you because I didn't know him. And it was Adam Schlesinger, who was in the band Fountains of Wayne. So I sent Adam some of the songs that um, Tom Stubbs and the guys had recorded. 
his lawyer got back to me right away and said, Adam's really into this band. What do you want to do with them? And I said, well, they need, they, I, I feel like the songs need some work. The songs are actually very well recorded in Tom's uh, studio, mm-hmm. but I felt that they needed, it needed to be tweaked. It needed to be mastered. And uh, I think they need a little bit of guidance in the recording side of it. Not to, not to say that they weren't because they were very, uh, very fluent in recording. And, uh, yeah, it, it was the excitement of seeing this really cool uh, English band, and they were definitely a great live band for sure, without question. And they had great songs. Yeah, oh, I agree with you. Having seen them perform numerous times, um, so what? What is your plan? Like, you see a band like the New Cassettes, obviously, you decide, okay, I want to get a, a, a top producer involved. I want to kind of reach out to my network, but um how do you how do you map out because i'm sure a lot of people listening would be really interested in knowing this because there's a lot of musicians that listen as well i mean what's kind of the, the plan and i know the plans don't always work but what's the plan to break a band like that like how do you look at somebody you see them one night in a small club in london and of course your your minds immediately go on these guys are really good we want to make them much larger we want to get to a bigger audience how do you map that out booking agent for me is the first thing that you've got to try it and attack, which is to try and convince a, a booking agent, not necessarily from one of the big booking agencies, because usually that's kind of like a waste of time. You go with a smaller agency that take on like what I call baby bands, and then you try and really convince them to come down uh, and see the band live. And with new cassettes, um, it was a big nut to crack because they're a band from the UK that has no no history in America whatsoever. So the history that I had to kind of join the dots with was to use Adam Schlesinger's name. And I did this on purpose. That's why I wanted a name associated with this band. So then I could go to a booking agent and say, look, I've got this great band, Adam Schlesinger from Fountains of Wayne, um, produced the record. Um, There's no label involved. Um, They've never toured in America, but they've toured in the U.S. Uh, They toured in the U.K., which they had. They played at Glastonbury and couple of festivals um it took me about i would say it took me about eight months to convince a booking agent in los angeles that um worked for a very very big booking agency called the agency group that actually had an office in london as well um and i basically uh kept on this guy i was a needle in in his in his side for a long time i was like look just just come and see the band live or at least listen to the record. Um, he liked the record, but, it, you know, being a booking agent, it's all about, well, okay, I'm a booking agent. The books bands have got, you know, you know, I would say street credentials. Uh, you've, right. got mar- you've, got, you've got market appeal, and this band didn't have any of that. Um, so I had to convince him that I would open up doors for the band and support any tour that he would be able to put on the table for us, whether it was opening up for a, a B-list band or an A, never happens. You get for an A-list band right away. But I got them on the I got them on the road with a really cool band um, from Scotland who um, have a huge following in the United States. And uh, my age is now going to show its true quality. <laughs> Because I should remember the name of the band, goddammit. Anyway, they're from Scotland. I'll remember the name in a minute. And um, got them on the road with this band. The booking agent took a chance with new cassettes, put them on the road with this band. And um, we immediately were playing in front of like 500 people a night. Um, 
you know, and that was a big deal for them. And so basically, um, that's how you hope you can get in the door and build upon it. And then I got them through ASCAP, who I've got a good relationship in LA. I convinced the ASCAP uh, film and TV department to put on an event for new cassettes in Los Angeles, which again, you know, ASCAP is like, okay, well, great band, but, uh, you know, we don't know anything about them, but they gave me a chance and they said, well, what we'll do is we'll, we'll organize a meet and greet. And that's when you came down mm-hmm. at the Gibson guitar lounge in yeah, Los Angeles. That, that was and, a fun night. Uh, yeah, That was a fun night. And yeah. I was worried that nobody was going to turn up, but actually a lot of people turned up and here's one of those, you know, rock and roll stories where there was one guy from MTV that came down. I got a call the next morning. And he said, well, it's funny that uh, I came to see your band last night because we were looking for a band to uh, help us launch this new uh, deal with, a, with another English school guy called uh, Russell Emmanuel. He's got a company called Hype Music. So it's going to be an MTV slash Hype Music kind of uh, event where they were going to showcase bands for TV and film. And we got the opportunity to do live at Abbey Road, live at the Village Recorders in L.A. You know, a lot of it. Tim is about, as you know, it's about developing connections, utilizing those connections. Um, and then when you get to the point where you're getting some, you're getting some traction, you know, the MTV thing, okay, okay we were like, we've got to hire a publicist now because now we're getting traction. We're, we're mm-hmm. getting people asking us who we are. We're getting a lot of radio airplay, and then we start getting a lot, lot of music placements. It's a journey of like opening doors with different people in different sides of the business. I wouldn't suggest that's the way to do it now because I think now, like you said earlier on, you really have to do a lot of the groundwork yourself. And I, I, I'd say to any band, it behooves you to do as much work as you can, lay the groundwork down, build your following, don't go out and spend thousands of dollars with a publicist right away because you really don't need to. You need to get in the van. You need to build it on social networking. Sounds like what you're saying is there's other avenues that maybe are more beneficial for people these days, i.e. digital marketing and digital directions. Is that what you're finding? Yeah, and also different marketplaces outside of the United States. Um, I got to see a really great artist in Honolulu in May who I've seen before. I saw him at the Sundance Film Festival. And his name is, can I mention his name? Sure, sure. Okay. His name is Ron Artis, A-R-T-I-S. He's mm-hmm. from Honolulu. Um, Mick Fleetwood just invited him to come and play. Mick's actually playing drums on his new record. And he's in, he's in France right now, and he's just killing it. I mean, you know, he played at, he played at the ASCAP Music Cafe at Sundance with a bunch of uh, other really great songwriters. But he's a young guy. Um, he's kind of got that Jack Johnson vibe about him. Um, okay. Yeah. And he's in France right now and he's doing it. He's on the road with his five guys, his wife, his two kids. And, um, you know, I I would say look into, look into as many options as you can to, to, to play. Now Europe's a whole different animal because, um, it's expensive to go there. You know, um, they don't give you a lot of money. Right. Uh, don't give a lot of money anywhere, to be honest with you. I was going to say, some things are universal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's one of them. Uh-huh. Yeah. But uh, I would say look at your options. Um, 
Well, what what things are you working on these days? Um, Sound Merchants is the name of your company. Are you guys still managing bands or? We're working with songwriters right now because, unfortunately, because of the pandemic, um, well, I'll be very honest with you, the pandemic just shot everyone in the foot. Right. Um, you know, I'm working currently with a bunch of songwriters and um, I'm, I'm doing a lot of, I'm doing a lot of TV and film stuff right before, um, right before COVID happened, we were approached by a company out of London, uh, that was doing Outlander and they were visual effects company, not special effects. And, uh, we were going to be the head of business development for them for the United States. So basically that was a fancy word of saying, open up doors for us. And, and so basically that's what we were doing. So right now, a lot of, um, stuff is, I wouldn't say closed, but there are still a lot of offices that are not open. Um, people are working from home. Um, there are bands that are out there touring. I have friends that are out there on the road right now with some pretty big bands, but, um, it's not going to be back to normal at any point. I would say until the middle of next year, that's my own take on it. And now I've talked to other people and, they said, yeah, there's people playing out and everything else. But I think that the uh, the wait and see attitude is still there until this whole COVID thing, hopefully. Uh, I think especially now because of the fall. Uh, but look, Glastonbury's on uh, for next year, I believe. Um, I know big, big events like the NAMM show, which is huge, has just mm-hmm. been canceled. So that's not going to go on now until June of next year. Um, you know, uh, that's one of my favorite events every year, by the way, the NAM show. I haven't been in a couple of years, but God, I love it. Well, well, that's another thing. That's one other thing that I can honestly say. If you want to go out and, uh, mingle with people, go to the NAM show. Um, you know, I met Phil X there two years ago and, and a bunch of people. He's a guitar player from Bon Jovi and you know, you can talk to people. They're very friendly. Go up and say Mm -hmm. hello to them. And, uh, you know, obviously South by, South by has become a little bit of a zoo and it's extremely expensive, but obviously if you want to go there, you can go there. And, uh, I think, I think some of the most important things to go to actually, Tim is like the ASCAP expo. Um, it's now, it used to be called I create music expo, but now it's called the ASCAP experience. They put it on for three days during, I think it's like May at the, uh, where's that, where's that at? It's usually at the Renaissance hotel on Highland Avenue in Hollywood. Okay. And so what they do is they have these uh, forums during the day where you can have anyone from like Tom Petty's done it, Jeff Lynn, um, and you you go and sit in these you know these giant rooms and people have Q and As and my friend Eric does most of it and um, these people are very accessible. You can go and talk to them about you know what you want to do and what, what you think you should do. And they'll try and do what I'm saying right now, which is try and give you some experience and history. And hopefully they'll, they'll, they'll guide you. And sometimes people walk out there and these people give you phone numbers and you can actually call them and, uh, you know, take it from there. You know? Well, I, I agree with you a hundred percent on, on all that, particularly the NAM show, because I have experience there. It's not, um, it's not open to the public, as you know. You have to. It's not really hard to get in if you know somebody in the music industry, but um, but it's not just it's not general public admission. The reason I say that is my feeling like at the NAM show. And one of the things I like is once you're in the doors, you got your badge and you get in the doors. 
to your point, Andy, people are very accessible because they know it's not being overrun with fans or people running around trying to get autographs and it's not that kind of scenario. It's very much all about the music industry and the music business and people there are either musicians or they're executives in that industry. And so I've met um, all kinds of people there and all kinds of musicians. Some of my idols, uh, Victor Wooten, I literally went to the little, um, uh, usually we'd walk out, there's a cafe around the corner that I used to love to go to lunch. And one day I was kind of in a hurry. So I go over to grab a hot dog at the little hot dog vendor or whatever inside the inside the conference center there and i turn around and there's a little little stand-up cat bistro tables and i'm standing there eating my hot dog and also the guy comes up and he's literally because we're packed in together like brushing shoulders with me and i turn it's victor wooten with his two kids you know so you get to sit there and talk to him um and to your point they're very open about it you know it's not um like i guess what i'm trying to say is their guards kind of down in that in that setting because they know that uh, they don't have to be worried about, you know, a mad rush of people coming up with their iPhones and trying to take photos of them. And it's not it's not that kind of scenario, you know. So Yeah, I, I think also it's important to know what a performing rights organization does as well. Like you have to belong to BMI or ASCAP, right, as, as a songwriter, composer, for whatever you do, if you're a rock singer, songwriter, whatever. Uh, get to know the people in membership at ASCAP or BMI. Go in and say, you know, I, I want an appointment. I'm a young songwriter, and I'd like to utilize ASCAP or BMI, whoever you want to sign with. Yeah, They're both competitors. They both mm-hmm. primarily do the same thing, right? Um, well, because and, Char- yeah. Charlie's been on the podcast, and Eric hasn't yet, I guess I have to give who? a nod to BMI, right? Who's that? <laughs> Charlie <who>? Charlie, yeah. <laughs> Not really good. Sorry, Charlie. <laughs> no, I love you, Charlie. Um yeah, no, I think it's important to go in and, and, and uh, talk to somebody in the rock and pop department, if that's what your genre of music is that you're interested in exploring. And they have a film and TV department. Um, I mean, it, it's one thing to say you belong to ASCAP and BMI, but if you don't know what they do, then you're not utilizing your chances right. of actually making some connections. No, you're absolutely correct. And, that, and that's uh, a great advice. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, I think the the other thing that's uh, maybe going on in your life, uh, we briefly touched on it the other day, we were talking, a book. Are you writing a book, sir? I am. And I'm assuming in the book it's going to have all the salacious tales that we kind of skipped over when we were talking about your early days <laughs> at Olympic and running around England, right? <laughs> no, photo, no photographs. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I've decided to write it. Um, I've got to write it. I'm, 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 I'm actually, to be honest with you, I'm doing it for my grandkids, okay? Um, because I want to leave them something um, that they can remember their grandfather by. And also, I think it's important because um, all these podcasts and great things that people like you do, I think are really important because um, when you look at somebody—not not that I'm looking at uh, being six feet under anytime soon—but but you know, looking at somebody like Bill Wyman who just passed. It, these people from that era, and they're a lot, lot further in front than me age-wise, but these people are all eventually not going to be around anymore. And sure. the only way you can really leave the story is to pass it on. So I think writing the book is going to be, uh, is going to be a good thing, and I, I'm going to start doing it. I'm, I've been in a couple of biographies already, the Zeppelin biography uh, that came out two years ago, and the biography by Bowie. And I think, well, you know what, maybe it's my turn to write it from a different perspective. Um, and, um, so do you, do you have a story in particular that would go into your book that you want to share with us? 
No, because then nobody would read it. Well, that's just be one of many stories. I'm sure it would be in the book, but that's all right. We'll let you off the hook. That's fine. No, uh, uh, just um, I just think life, Tim. Really, you know, it's just been an amazing journey, man. I I've been a very lucky person, and I think like you, you know, the one thing that the reason why you and I are, are good friends is because you know we hit it off, and I think that's the most important thing about being in any business. Especially in this business, you really, you really have to be. Um, I believe you have to be a good person and you have to be a people person, mm-hmm. and those two combinations together, I believe, will get you a long way in a business that is very tough. And there are a bunch of assholes in the business, just like in any business. But um, I've been fortunate enough to have met and worked with, I would say, more good people than people that I disliked, you know, and, uh, mm-hmm. and that's just part of the business anyway, isn't it? Yeah. Well, and, and we mentioned Charlie a little bit ago, Charlie Feldman. Um, and when Charlie was on, of course, we were talking a lot about the business from his background as VP at BMI. And, uh, what's interesting, and you just said the exact same thing, Andy, the, the principles that make somebody successful in any business are, are no different just because it's the music business. And I think sometimes it's easy to think, well, it's all about being creative and there, there's some special magic pixie dust that applies to the, to the music industry or maybe the motion picture industry that doesn't apply elsewhere. And that's not true. You got to show up. You got to work hard. You got to be a person of your word, you know, and I think to, to your point, too, um, I would rather work with people that I enjoy spending time with. So being a good person and being fun to be around makes a big difference. It doesn't matter if you're in the finance, healthcare, or music. You know, I think the same principles yeah. apply. Yeah, and I think it's, um, I, I think it makes things a lot more pleasurable. When you look at bands like Coldplay and U2, you know, most of the people that work with those guys, they're a family. They've been working with those bands for years and years. And like my friend, um, unfortunately, who just passed away on Sunday. He's been with that band for 20 years. Um, and you're, you're family. And there's a reason your family is because you're liked. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, I, think that's, I think that's a good legacy to have, Tim, you know, at the end of the day. Uh, and you've got to be passionate. You've got to love it. You can't look at it and go, you know, fuck, I'm going to make a million dollars doing this because that might not be where you'll end up. Right. Well, and I think, again, and not to keep bringing up Charlie, but uh, you keep saying things that remind me of when I spoke with him and we were talking about making money or whatever. And Charlie made the comment. He's like, well, success is, is not um, is independent of how much money you make, you know, level of success and what you what you determine yourself to be a success. You know, you might make 40 grand a year, but you're playing music you love. You're out of the clubs. You're doing something that you enjoy doing and waking up every day. That's pretty successful. Well, any other pearls of wisdom you want to impart upon us, Andy? I know I've already held you up. Well, we've been doing this for a couple hours because we had technical difficulties. But <laughs> I think be true to yourself. Be true to your craft. You know, um, I think that's the most important thing. Be true to your craft. And um, I think if you're fortunate enough to find someone that you can work with as a producer that can help you along the way, um, then you're off to a good start. But be true to what what your craft is don't let anyone tell you you know what you should and shouldn't do if, if, you know if it comes into that you're kind of lost your hold on your your creative juices and i think that's i don't think that's a good thing but that's just my that's just my uh, personal bit of advice you know for whatever's worth 
Well, I think it's advice well taken. Again, no matter what you do in life, particularly though in music as a songwriter, um, when I try too hard to emulate something else, it doesn't, I don't care. Even if it kind of sounds good, it's just, it rings hollow. There's something about it. You know, like when we were talking earlier and I said, what is it about bands that makes you think, oh, I want to manage these guys. I want to be involved with their career. I know for me, when I go out and I see uh, bands play, which it's been forever because <laughs> of the <laughs> pandemic, yeah. but uh, when I go out and see, especially smaller bands, you know, like clubs that you can go into, um, after a while, they all kind of blur together, you know, but every once in a while, somebody jumps out at you. And usually I think there's just an authenticity. I don't know how else to say it. There's like an honesty in certain performances or performers that comes through. And to your point, I think they're just, they're up there at that moment in time just saying, here's who I am. And if you like it, great. And if you don't, that's okay too. And yeah, the people I that think, are uh, willing to do that right. are successful it, to me, I, you know? Yeah. I think, I think that, you know, when you see someone that, you know, really is that great, um, it just gives you electricity and you feel, I, if somebody said to me tomorrow, would you manage another band again? Um, I'm never going to say no, but it's just, um, it's just something that you feel, you know, it's just like watching a film makes you cry, touches your human emotions and you, mm -hmm. you leave the theater and, uh, you know, you're, you, you've been touched by something. And I think music for me has always been that one thing that has just uh, always been there for me. Always. I've never regretted it. You know, there've been ups and downs, highs and lows, but at the end of the day, you realize when you get to my age, I'm 65 years old now. So when you get to 65, you know, you know that, wow, I did this and I worked with these people. At the time when you're doing it, you don't really put any emphasis on that at all. You're just part of the moment. You're doing your job and, you know, and now I look back at it and I go, wow, it was a wild ride and um, yeah. it, was, it, was, it was great, you know, and I'm still in it. <laughs> you're still so, riding. <laughs> I'm still yeah. in it. So, yeah. so, but, so I'll just tell all your guests, send all checks, please, to the Andy Morris Society. Uh, <laughs> Tim will give you my bank account routing number and we'll be good. Oh, absolutely. I'm happy to do that for you. Andy, thank you very much for your time today and, and for a decade, decade of friendship and You're a lot of uh, interesting adventures. We've been over half the country together. Actually, the whole country. We've been from east to west coast together. So uh, a lot of time on the road. Yeah, we I have, man. Well, yeah. oh, I thank you, man. I, I love you, my friend. And uh, thanks for the opportunity for me to share this with your, with your viewers. And uh, we'll speak soon. All right. Take care. Okay, buddy. Take care, mate. Bye-bye. And that concludes my interview with Andy Morris's Sound Merchants. And as is our way here on Out of the Ether, I'm going to leave you with a song. And this is a song by the band, uh, the new cassettes that we spoke about quite a bit during this episode. And it's a band that I got to spend a lot of time with on their two tours here in the United States. Matter of fact, they have a video on YouTube. I believe it's called U.S. Tour Diary. Um prominently features my home <laughs> i think my wife my daughter and one of my dogs uh, might have made the cut as well and it's a lot of fun and a chance to kind of get to know the band if you want to watch the video but uh, i'd like to leave you now with the new cassettes and bite your lip <laughs>